is that? That's uh, blue raspberry Kool-Aid. Spilt all over my shirt. No, no, the tattoo. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Tonight on Fright Day, we play the Rorschach game with Byron's tattoos. I just start squeezing my skin together. (laughs) That's pretty fun. This is episode 36. I'm your host, Byron. And tonight, we're making quite a mess reviewing Lucifer Valentine's Slow Torture Puke Chamber. No, we and aren't. Expect good things, guys. Wait, we are what? not. We're not doing that. We aren't giving that guy any play. Hey, but that's what yeah, I watched. Stop. What, uh, we watched a beautifully quiet film about torture and captivity reviewing uh, Michael Polish's Amnesiac. Is that, is that better? Yes, that's much better. And we learn everything there is to know about a bottomless pit in central Washington in this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. I'm joined tonight by Kelly. Hi, guys. So 36, that's a perfect square. And Sam. Hey, guys. What? Wait. It's, it's like a perfect circle, but it's not. It's a perfect square. We're getting a lot of feedback for some reason. Give me one no, that's, that's just Kelly. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind then. I think anyway. Sam probably watched a few more things this week than I did, but I watched some really good classic horror TV. Sam, what did you watch? No, that's fine. Don't don't bother with me. Just roll right along. No, Moving Kelly. On. Okay, what you Moving want? right along. That's fine. That's okay, fine. Sam. Yeah. I would like to talk about a book that I read. The literate one. Well, I don't know. I mean, sometimes there are pages that are filled with words. I like to look at them, make sense of them. I read a book called Slither by Edward Lee, who is a master of what I just recently learned is called splatter spunk. Okay, that sounds like a genre Kelly loves. Yeah. And is proud that you're reading. (laughs) I would think so. I I really like, I've enjoyed other things by him. It's it's all extremely gruesome, ridiculously over the top, horribly, stomach churningly, couldn't make a movie out of it. It's so bad, gruesome, mixed with extreme graphic sex and pretty much all the things that would make a really good movie if there was some way you could commit it to film. Sam After Dark, yeah. So... First, I'm a bad person. I'm not going to argue with that even for a second. So Slither is a story about gigantic mutated trichinosis worms. Uh, big words. What I don't understand is the average readership for that book understanding what that kind of worm is. I mean, that has to be a fairly small population. Intelligent people need violence, too. They do. Are you insulting horror fans generally? No, I'm just saying that that horror story... So stupid people are the only ones that could like extreme horror. Backed into the physical corner that she's in. I'm actually in a corner. Oh, that's too bad. But no, I'm just saying that it's like, you know... Bad people like... I can't say bad things about other podcasts, but like... Those I are the kind that. of people that seem like they would love Slither. Sniff so but much. I guarantee you that they have no idea what that kind of a worm is. Sam, what is this worm? So a trichinosis worm is urban legend now, but for a long time, the just common sense idea that you had to thoroughly cook pork because it was a parasite that infested the flesh of pigs when the animal husbandry was not nearly as regulated as it is now. 
you can still get trichinosis from eating uh, undercooked bear. Really? Yes. Okay. I just avoid eating bear because they're cute and cuddly. Why would you want to kill them and eat them? Because they rip faces. Mm-hmm. Only bad ones. Mm. These worms are subject to military experimentation, have developed a taste for human flesh. They need the humans to lay their eggs. They take over the human reproductive system and cause terrible mutations to the hosts. It's kind of tentacle horror mixed with B-movie creature feature mixed with kind of the extreme physical. Like I said, I I really enjoyed this book. It wasn't my favorite Edward Lee book. It, It got a little bit long in places. It focused on a, maybe too many different characters, four distinct groups of characters that all set out on this island with different motives and then kind of bounces around between the four groups. I think it could have been streamlined a little bit. I could see where the argument would be made that some of the female characters mm, suffered from a slightly misogynistic overlay, but in the world that Lee has created, that fits. I mean, the screaming sex pot bombshell in the, the, you know, the 50s drive-in creature feature movies. I think they know their target audience. I I would think so. You have to. When you're writing for a niche like that, you kind of have to know what you're doing. A niche like you. (sighs) Like me. And I am a niche. Kelly, did you, you you said you watched a little bit of TV? I watched some Monster Quest episodes and I watched some old ghost adventures. In Monster Quest history, have they ever found a monster? Well, yeah, they find monsters in every single one. That's why it's the quest, Byron. No, but it's not they, monster find. Do they really, though? Oh, yeah. For example? Like all of them, like uh, Okanagan. And they found the Okanagan Yeah, monster. they found people that talked about seeing it. Okay, no, that's there's a big difference between finding a monster and finding people who have Byron, seen a monster. are you completely unfamiliar with the field of cryptozoology? <laughs> what, does that count? You caught a monster if you talk to uh, someone? Yes. Well, wow. we're, we're humane. We're not we trying to catch things. We're not trophy hunters. We aren't looking for the cryptid version of Cecil that's out there. That's about enough. You cannot bring Cecil into this conversation. I just did. Nothing I brought it. Too brought topical. It. It's too topical and too sad. No, and... It is sad, isn't it? Doesn't Cecil make you no, weep? I shouldn't. She's that was getting my off the ca- that was you're, totally you're, you're leading it. You're leading it. Anyhow, yeah, they find monsters. We don't capture. We we, no- <laughs> we catch and release. Yeah, but no one's seen or released in oh, that Yeah, case. they talk to a lot of people who've seen That's them. That's not the same. Yeah, it's the same. Oh, it's not. <laughs> That's the same. It's not. It's the same. That's just about the same as like Zach Baggins getting too scared to continue investigations. Actually, the best Zach Baggins episode is when they're at a place where supposedly the ghosts hate tattoos. Uh-huh. And he like rips off his shirt and he's like, what do you think about this? Oh, God. Baggins. It's amazing. Zachariah Baggins. It's amazing. Why? Everything about oh, that man great. seems like I should hate him, and yet you I love, love him, him. and you I want to give him a hug. Of you course love you do. Zach Baggins? Yeah, I just He's feel adorable. so bad for him. I, I He's de- kind of like a Vegas grown-up version of the little kid in Up. Wait, no, he's not. Yeah, he kind he's of is. Nothing like Sam, that. Sam, do you see kid. what I'm saying? He kind of is. I see that you are saying. You yeah. are okay. saying. Is no, that the same as a cryptozoologist saying, do you seeing s- something? No, really, sure, though. Sure, he no, is. Like, proof. he's adorable and really excited about things. He wants to go on adventures. I just think he's full of shit. I'm sorry. I don't think he's full of shit. It's kind of crazy that with the week I had, I managed to watch more horror than you guys. I think you were trying to keep yourself from going crazy. That's why you watched horror this week. You're right. I read a 375-page novel. It, that was a full novel? I thought it was a graphic novel. No. So I, it was just a graphic novel. Yes, it was an extremely graphic novel. novel. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. I married my sister. 
Uh, this is Montana. To her boyfriend. Lucifer. To her boyfriend. Valentine. Uh, to her boyfriend. To her fiance. Well, yeah, okay. God, Byron, terminology. Let's go. Which was great. That's awesome. So congratulations to my sister. And Congrats her- to Byron's sister. Twin and sister, by the way. Beyond that, it sounds like you played a phenomenal DJ set. Yeah, okay. That was that was pretty good as well. Can I we don't- get you to cut your hair like yeah. Skrillex? Now's many- a good time. We had a great time. Here's the big question. Yes. Did they serve chocolate mousse? Oh, my God. In the middle of all this, I managed to watch a movie that I've been looking forward to for a while. You want to tell us about it? It's called The Gift. Ooh, the gift looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I went into it knowing it was a thriller, not a horror. So maybe I guess we're all guilty this week. A seemingly perfect couple played by Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall's from the really cool under the radar horror film called The Awakening, which is on one of my you know, best not, of lists. It's not one of my favorite movies. It's a period piece, right? You hate all period pieces. Yeah, it's just not my thing. I'm with Kelly on this one. You liked it. I liked yeah. it a lot. They relocate to a new city where they bump into a old friend named Gordo the Weird played by its director joel edgerton who you may know from the remake of the thing and a handful of other projects um gatsby gatsby really yep he wrote directed and starred yeah it was fun man i like Uh, him and honestly i think this is a pretty brave choice for jason bateman he tends to be the likable character in all his movies and even in the trailer of this film but he is extremely unlikable throughout this movie. It's impressive. You thought he was likable in the trailer? I thought he seemed like a complete asshole in the trailer. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Gordo starts dropping by. Things rapidly tailspin. He start seeing this past that unravels and... Uh, it gets really dark. Grim. Probably in a direction that you're not expecting. Even us as normal horror fans. So it was good. Yeah, it was fun. I definitely picked up on the twist during the tail end of the film, but it didn't really detract from the impact of the final hit. Uh, It's a small film, a small cast, and I think it's definitely worth watching. Five million dollar movie. Jason Blum does it again. How much did he turn this weekend with with the gift? Eleven million for the week and fourteen million total. Wow. The man's got the Midas touch. And, and this is kind of nice to see him do a thriller as opposed to a horror. I know he's been branching out. They did Whiplash, which was just a straight drama and overall an excellent film. And uh, a huge number of people have been pulled to join the Blumhouse production family in the past couple weeks. A bunch of people from the Killer POV podcast, which are people from Fangoria magazine. Do we know what roles they'll be playing at Blumhouse? I don't, but I guess it's all good news, you know. I really appreciate his willingness to let real horror personalities into his inner circle. I mean, he did with Ryan Turek, realizing that, hey, there are some people out there who maybe they're not necessarily high up in the movie industry, but these people know horror. We need to bring them on board and, and let them, you know, let them play. Oh, that was that was like a clown noise. Sorry, it wasn't. It was in my clown horn in my back pocket. Yeah, I think that's great. And he's doing really cool things for horror right now. So Yay. I, I always feel like you have to throw those in there when we really rip apart some of the terrible found footage that comes out. And I mean, yeah, it all goes back to Kelly saying that some of it's just not for us. It's true. I also watched one. I'm glad mo- that you listened to that and you heard that and you retained it. I, I mean, I had to edit it for hours. It's so. nice. It's it's it feels good to be heard, Byron. I just appreciate that teenagers alone allowance are funding movies like creep i'll take it i also watched one quick documentary on netflix called joseph fritzel story of a monster it's a documentary about an austrian monster man he's not a physical monster but he might as well be who held his daughter captive for 24 years in a secret section of his family basement i don't know if you guys have heard about this she suffered physical and sexual abuse that resulted in the birth of seven children 
with him and one miscarriage. How uh, can you watch this? Well, it's interesting. And it's and real. terrifying and real. It happened. He left. Oh, she's leaving the room. Uh, oh, I'm no. Okay. Uh. <laughs> and we're back. Here sorry, we are. Sorry for the graphic details, Kelly. Uh, what? I mean, you made you run out of the room with all the fretzels I was driving. Oh yeah, lots of fretzels. So four <laughs> of the children, four of the the seven lived with the mother, and three lived with Joseph's family upstairs. And, and the upstairs family didn't know about the downstairs family. What they did know is what Joseph told them. Joseph said that the daughter Elizabeth ran off to another town for work. And that these children that just started showing up on the front porch were hers. The mother was told that Elizabeth visited only when the mother wasn't there by some sort of odd circumstance. Wow. There's a, a lot of suspension. So and didn't all of the kids, I mean, the kids had to have serious issues because of the whole inbreeding sitch. You know, inbreeding isn't as bad as you'd think. Well, it's kind of a crapshoot, yeah, right? It's like sometimes or... it's real bad. It can go bad. I mean, it seems like it would never be good. Well, it, it's definitely not good. I don't, I don't think anyone's um, arguing that. It's hard to tell if the things that happened to these children medically had to do with inbreeding or the fact that they were living in a basement with like dungeon dungeon yeah okay let's call it a dungeon because it's not quite a basement home yeah a basement you think of you know banana chairs and which there might have been games but who am i to say i wasn't there i do know that one of the sons has like severe scoliosis because the the ceiling was so low okay he grew up into this like curvy J shape? Are you going to wow. vomit again? I want to vomit and so cry. Grim. All right. So that that's my week of uh, horror. Yeah. That's... Zip, zip. Let's do a lot better this next week. Whoop, whoop. All of us. Yeah. It's almost the fall season. I know. See, that's the thing that we've got to gather our energy so that we can... No more of this goddamn go podcast light out. Speaking of B-A-N-A-N-A-S, did no, you hear we that Gwen... And, and Gavin, Gavin broke up, yeah, but did you hear that the final straw was when she came here to Missoula, and she was staying in Missoula, and this was where they fell in love, and she came here with her kids, and she realized that they were no longer in love, and they broke up. I just think it's sad. In this week's edition of Kelly's Cryptids hey, no. and Rosdale's. I don't even like Rosdale. Speaking of Rosdale's, we've got a DiCaprio stepping up to the plate. I love Leo. Do you like H.H. Holmes? I mean, he's fine, I guess. Creepy story. Most prolific serial killer in American history. And DiCaprio himself is him. Yeah, but more importantly, it's the DiCaprio-Scorsese combo, yeah, which I is like, pretty unbeatable. I like that combo, too. We didn't even mention they're going to be turning the book devil in the white city into a feature length film we should mention that yeah after that's we a, talk about that's it. pretty important a book that i've just started reading and i'll talk to you about I that am, next week i am so whoop, proud whoop. of you byron byron high five high five so, on the book we didn't talk about the fact that our power went out due to a massive windstorm well, that was kind of horrific giant trees threatened many houses in our town and there's thousands of people still without power candles were lit human flesh was consumed a little bit a bite Roofs or two blew off. but this gave me the chance to spark a candle and turn a page or two byron I, i'm gonna be honest i made it about 
eight pages before my power came back on. I got the candles set up. I got some pillows behind my back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going to read a book. So you weren't, in, you had pillows, so you weren't actually in the bath. No, I wasn't. No, not pop into the bath. There's no water. The water doesn't, the doesn't water still depend on the power. Wait, the power is out. I didn't even know it. I didn't shower. Byron, sometimes you make me laugh. So I, uh, I, I cracked the cover of Devil in the White City, and I'm looking forward to reading more of it. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad to hear you're reading a book. Thanks, man. I very, very good. Since we've been digging ourselves a metaphorical hole for the last half hour, why don't we go to Kelly and learn about a real bottomless hole? Yeah, let's do that in this week's edition of Kelly's... Captain! Captain! It's in Conspiracies. Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracies. Oh, you guys, this is a great one. This story is actually at the root of my nearly lifelong relationship with Coast to Coast AM radio. There's this amazing story that started in 1997 when wee little Kelly was listening to the radio one night and heard this crazy man call in named Mel Waters. And I initially perked up when I heard that it had to do with a story that took place in Washington State, which is a place that I drove through on family road trips regularly. In 1997. What what else were you doing in 1997? I was at like peak of nerddom in 1997. Sure. Those were the hardcore years. I was like a really sad version of Lisa Simpson, actually, is what I was. So this was a really big deal for me. I was listening to this one night and I heard this story. And it turned out that I was in at the ground floor of something that would become incredible and legendary in the world of coast to coast and in the world of paranormal interesting stories, so to speak. This guy, Mel Waters. Given name. Yes, it is. However, we're going to get into a little bit more about that. Close to Ellensburg, Washington. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's not the most elegant place on earth. It's an interesting... to all of our Ellensburg listeners. Mel calls in and starts talking to Art Bell about this interesting hole on his property. He had moved there recently, so he wasn't like a long-term resident, but he'd, he'd been there three or four years. The previous owners had owned the land 30 years prior to that. How much land are we talking? Oh... Uh, Acres, significant I mean, chunks. Yeah, he had a big. He was he was farming, so he had a big chunk of land. But this hole, which was located on the Manitash Ridge, like I said, outside Ellensburg, Washington, there was a big hole. And Mel began to hear stories from the locals about the background of this hole and that it had been around for as long as anybody could remember. People used it as a bit of a dumping ground. They would throw their trash in there, and it never seemed to fill up. So people would sneak onto the property and dump waste and all sorts of things, dead bodies. Wait, what? You can't just slip that in there. Well, so one of the earlier stories that Mel told in this first call-in was of a man who claimed to have thrown the body of his dead dog into the hole to get rid of it. Lo and behold, a few days later, the dog was alive again and running through the woods. Sounds like he was a bit of a drunkard. Well, could have been. There's not much else to do in Ellensburg, but the point is this hole was really mysterious. Mel started investigating. He noticed that animals were really afraid of the hole. None of his dogs would follow him near the hole. However, they followed him everywhere else that he went. But as soon as he got within about 15 feet of the hole, they would stop dead in their tracks, not go an inch closer. If he tried to pull them closer, they would dig into the ground and resist and start squealing. So physically, what What does this hole look like? So here's where it gets a little bit important to describe. I do not have a picture of anything that has been verified as the hole itself. A lot of people have described it. I mean, essentially, it looks like a well of sorts, as I understand it. Like a circle around? So it does. It has a retaining wall around the edge made of stone. It's nine feet wide. It appears to be bottomless. 
There is no echo. I love the appears to be bottomless as a physical trait. Well, it is a physical trait. Just but let me get to that point of the story, okay. well, goddammit. My, my thing is, though, I don't think an animal would go towards a giant open hole ever because that's a smart thing not to do. Animals will go towards holes and stick their nose down. And I'm Absolutely. Afraid of, I'm afraid of heights. I don't stick my head in holes. Yeah, especially bottomless holes. All animals will not go anywhere near this. And that is unusual. Okay. So Mel decides he's going to investigate. So he actually gets this really interesting idea. When you've got a natural hole okay or even a well eventually you're gonna hit water right maybe you might hit dirt or the devil it's true okay you're either going to hit ground or water at some point sure correct um oh my god okay yes of course you are so he decides he's gonna tie some thick fishing reel and start lowering it into the hole however interesting twist he ties lifesavers to the end of it so that he'll know yeah so that he'll know if it hits water because the lifesavers will be partially dissolved or at least sticky smart man kind of an interesting idea huh he lowers it keeps lowering it keeps lowering it keeps lowering it and the important part here is the fishing line is staying taut so it's not as though it's like gotten hung up on something and is just gathering it's taut Hmm. he lowers 1500 feet pulls it back up not the slightest bit of dampness on the candy. So there's no water down at 1,500 feet, nor is there dirt. All right. How how far in miles? Um, a mile is 5,280 feet. So okay, it's so about not, a quarter of a mile. Sure. Okay. It's a big hole. It's a real big Sam, hole. Sam, are holes that big? Do they exist? 1,500 uh, feet? Yes. There has been no scientific evidence that there's any hole. As far as I, I've never seen a hole deeper than 8 or 10 feet, personally. Okay. Are, are you talking <laughs> well, about... Sam, Sam, shut up. He's just using what he's experienced, and I appreciate it. No, I can I can tell you that there have been holes that At I night, think... did it appear bottomless? Uh, it, it did. It was dark. I didn't, I didn't want to get close to it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sam. Let me continue on. This okay. is honestly one of my favorite paranormal I'm stories. Don't F with my shit. Sure, don't F with the shit. After this 1,500-foot experiment... Mel decides that he's going to now lower a one pound lead weight down into the pit at the end of the spool. And he just keeps tying spool after spool after spool. He lowers down 80,000 feet of fishing line. This is over 15 miles and still does not hit water or the bottom. How many days would that take? I mean, a long time. Yeah, that's... I think Mel was retired. I, I don't think he's using... Well, good... I mean, it's clear Mel had just moved there. He hadn't farmed there his whole life, so he's probably got money. I mean, that was always my impression. The audience starts kind of going wild for this, but people are calling in and giving Mel ideas about things that he should try. One of them said, and this was an interesting point, it could have already hit bottom, but because the line itself at 80,000 feet worth of line is going to be pretty damn heavy, even if there's nothing on it, could be keeping it taut. But... Mel was sure that if it had, the line would have snapped. Essentially, they kind of... What do you mean it would have snapped? Well, he thinks if it would have caught on something and gathered up at the bottom when he tried to pull it back up, it would have snapped. How much would 80,000 feet of fishing line weigh? You know what's interesting? That was actually a conversation I remember during that call-in, but I don't remember what the answer was. Somebody did the math on it and called in. Um, it seems like it would be a lot. Quite a bit. The One of the interesting ideas that Art Bell came up with for him was to get a volunteer and lower the volunteer in and have the volunteer describe what what they could see down in the hole that doesn't seem very wise or well, safe it doesn't or seem nice well, for the it seems mean but it's mel mean if someone wants to do it right but mel said you know i have no idea what's down there it could be really high temperatures because obviously once you get closer to the core if you really are going down that deep you might be hitting some dangerous temperatures there could be different uh 
chemicals and gases being released down there. It doesn't have to be anything paranormal, but there could be a lot of dangers down in that hole, and Mel didn't feel comfortable doing that to anybody. I'm sorry to keep pulling out these scientific questions. I'm trying to decide how thick is the Earth? Like I said, I've never seen more than eight or ten. ten. Yeah. Yeah, So clearly they don't exist. You guys are idiots. Stop it. So it says here that the Earth's diameter is actually 7,917.5 miles. Correct, but the crust itself, depending on the area of the earth is between six and 40 miles thick so it could be if this truly is 15 miles down we could have gone through the crust at this point which would mean it's into the mantle so it is going to be hotter. hot okay yeah. okay I, I could see that okay. the line which i imagine is made of nylon is that what they make fishing line out of would have probably melted makes sense to me yeah mel was a former shark fisherman so he knew a lot about fishing line i don't think that there's a concern that it would have melted I don't know what kind of fishing line it was, but that wasn't an issue that came up. And Art asked him kind of an interesting question. Art said, if you had a terminal illness, would you jump into the hole? That's a fucking weird question to just pull out of, out of the Art air. Bell. Art Bell's amazing. amazing. It is amazing. Like, yes. like he's just sitting there going, hmm. You know what? All the, all the questions of physics and geology you could ask. But let's ask that question now. Would you, Sam? I would jump in that hole right now. Okay. No, you How wouldn't. About- I wouldn't let you. I love you too much. Kelly? Absolutely not. You wouldn't You wouldn't see yourself for science? Fuck no. I am so desperate for something to believe in that I would dive You know who I'd throw in the hole? Lucifer Valentine. We should bring back the character of Lucifer Valentine. Never. You should never. We don't need to hear anything that he ever has had to say or will have to say ever again. During this first call in, Mel starts talking about all of these elements of the whole. But one of the things that comes up is the fact that on some different maps, and this was early on in the days of satellite maps that were available online. Keep Frontier in mind. Frontier time. Terra server. On some images, this area was blocked out. So of course, because this is a live show, a bunch of people start jumping on. Wait, what's Terra server? Am I supposed it's to like know what that is? It's like pre-Google Earth. It was, the, it was the predecessor to Google Earth. It was, it was the only satellite. online database of satellite yes. or high altitude imagery yes. that was okay. available. And lo and behold, it was indeed blocked out. And so people are thinking that Mel's completely crazy, but when this shows up on the Terra server and all the listeners start calling in and saying, oh my God, it really is blocked, all of a sudden, Mel has a little bit more validity behind him. But you look at that. I'm looking at a picture of a... a but that could have just been blacked out by Photoshop. I black stuff like that. You're absolutely correct, but keep in mind this was a live show and callers were calling in at the time saying, yes, we just saw this, we just saw this, and Art Bell posted on his website, this is the image that just came up. It was a lot earlier than the days. Were. This is ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he, yeah. Photoshop was probably in beta. So I was thinking it might be fun. I've found the the location from the terror server image on Google Earth using existing landmarks. What do you think about crowdsourcing? Like we post a link to this part of Google Maps and turn people loose. Like, hey. So, in, in, what did you type in here? You typed in the Manistash Ridge in Ellensburg, Washington? In the, according to the story, this is where the hole was. Yeah. But so, I, if you're following along at home, you can uh, search the Manistash Ridge at Ellensburg, Washington? Yeah, and, and then compare the old satellite imagery that was available in 1997, which is also still available online. It's the black and white, lower resolution with a big whited out area on the alleged location of Mel's Hole. And like I said, use some existing landmarks to kind of figure out where that blacked out space was. 
And curiously enough, there's actually a now, according to Google Maps, there's actually a an observatory on the ridge. Huh. If anyone would be interested in spending some time scrolling around Google Maps to see what you could find there. So what was this gentleman's name? Mr. Waters? Mel Mel Waters. Waters. Is okay. he still on the property? Uh, you just You're listen to the rest of the story. Sure. We're getting there. Hang okay. Tighter. One of the other suggestions that somebody threw out during this call was that a person throw a live cat down there and listen for it to stop screaming. Art Bell, like myself, is a big fan of cats and was a bit offended at that suggestion. And Mel had no intention of following through on that one can't either. Can't support that. Can't support that at all. The volunteer, the people, yeah. Okay, so interesting work. things to note about Mel. He apparently looks like Willie Nelson. Don't they all? He swears his story is true. I would hope so. At one point, he put a metal lid over the hole, locked away from people. Hmm. He had a mechanical counter to keep track of the number of feet of line that were lowered into the hole. He was married. His hobby was making belt buckles and selling them at local markets. He once found a P-38 Nazi gun on his land and gave it away to a landlord as a deposit. And he found Chinese traditional New Year's lucky money envelopes containing American dimes and used them in some of his homemade belt buckles. Now, what is that? There's also a whalebone stuck in a tree in Ellensburg. Wait, now, you're implying that this is some sort of portal to other... Places? I'm not applying anything. Okay. Hold tight. Sure. Day after Mel calls in for the first time. He goes back to his property. Wait, we're going to skip through all the bullshit that Mel just said he did? Th- that was just a list of factoids uh, about Mel. Okay. I okay. mean, I'll let it all slide. Yeah, let it slide for right now, okay? This requires a, a bit of suspension of disbelief. Wait, so what? next day, Mel goes back to his property. There are uniformed people all over his property claiming that there was a plane crash and he couldn't enter his property for the time being. He didn't believe them. He didn't see smoke, didn't see any other evidence of a crash. And then he was warned that a drug lab could easily be quote unquote found on his property if he didn't immediately turn around and leave the property. Mel threatened to go to the press. They, at this point being the government, offered to lease the property from him for $250,000 a month. Mel accepted. Okay. So Mel relocates to Australia with the help of they and the money that he's receiving all right and has this been this was this was absolutely none of this has been confirmed no well it actually it has this was in 2002 and art confirmed that mel had indeed moved to australia that they let him bring his dogs and some of his plants with him which completely sidestepped typical regulations for international travel yeah you can't bring new species of anything they paid him as promised regularly and on time every month between march of 1997 and december of 1999 mel worked on a wombat rest facility something he'd always wanted to do and he spent most of his money doing that nice fella wombats are kind of adorable wasn't that what Rocco was in Rocco's modern, modern life? life oh he was a wallaby Shoot. Good, good I always mix up my marsupials that's all right I love marsupials in December of 1999 he returned to the U.S. to visit family and he also decided he was going to appear on Coast to Coast AM again however the government served him legal papers implicating him as being in violation of building codes on his property so that they could actually seize his land and stop paying him this wonderful rent that he was collecting. All right. Once he was back on American soil, they said, hey, I know we've been paying you this, but guess what? You're in violation of building codes on your property. We're just going to seize your land. We don't have to pay you anymore. Tough shit, man. Huh. Yeah. Dicks. When Mel was home, he helped his nephew move. Here's where things start getting really crazy. He got on a bus in Tacoma, Washington, headed for Olympia. There was an altercation on the bus. Police asked Mel to give a statement. He was not involved in the altercation, but they wanted him to give a statement. He said no because he had to get back to Olympia. He didn't want to waste time. The police said that they could give him a ride in their van. That was the last thing Mel remembered. 12 days later, he woke up in an alley in San Francisco. I don't know if any of our listeners have seen the movie The Game, but this reminds me a great deal of what happens to Michael Douglas in The Game. 
wakes up in this alley in San Francisco. He'd been badly beaten. All of his molars had been removed from his mouth. And this has been confirmed? This is No, none of this is confirmed. This is all the story, like I said, when he calls back in 2002. So keep in mind, this story that he's referencing right now happened in 1999. Okay. From- and he was supposed to appear on Coast to Coast at this same period. Three more years passed, and he finally does call in. And this is what And he, he says, this is why I didn't end up calling in like I was supposed to in 1999. This is what had happened. So it, there was evidence he had been hooked up to an IV. His homemade belt buckle had been stolen these belt buckles that he makes that's pretty art bell had his dentist help mail out so that's the only way in which we can verify this teeth story because art bell's personal dentist actually did go and help mel with the teeth issue okay and now all of the money that mel had saved from these rent checks was gone from his account his wombat research facility was completely dismantled and all the employees were laid off. His nephew bought him a bus ticket back to Washington. And that was when Mel finally reappeared on Coast to Coast to tell everybody what had happened. Super, super sad, right? Terribly sad. Super sad. If so at this, happened. at this point, Mel took a trip to Ellensburg to look for someone who might have bought a matching belt buckle from him years earlier. Sure enough, he found somebody with one. And while examining the coins, remember he had these coins he had found on his property? Chinese these dimes? luck coins. Yep. Yeah. While examining the coins, he noticed that the dime was minted in 1943, even though there were no dimes in 1943 with Roosevelt's face on them. Furthermore, every American coin is marked with a letter that indicates the city in which it was minted. This dime was marked with a B, even though no city which has ever minted U.S. currency has ever begun with the letter B. And there are actually photos of that dime that will appear on our website in the supplemental materials for this podcast. The owner of the buckle brought the coin to a coin dealer who could not explain it. The coin dealer said it was not fake. It was impossible to be what it was, essentially. The dealer offered to buy it for an incredibly large sum of money. Because he worked for the government. No, I don't I don't think so. I think Sam's because nodding was, with me. It's pretty clear. Thank you. The man decided to think about the offer for a while, but a few days later, the Treasury Department came and actually took the coin from him. They can't just keep taking everything. Okay, here we're going to bring a side tangent in here, okay? Okay. For fans of Coast to Coast, you will know who Richard Hoagland is. All right, we'll get into Richard Hoagland at a later point in time. He's a little bit loopy, but he's got some fun stuff. He, during an episode, was actually talking about Mel's Hole. He's actually a true physicist. He's, he has a PhD. He's just a bit crazy. He, he suggested that the coins may have come from a parallel universe, a universe in which coins were minted in a city that began with B. Had to have been Baltimore. It could have been uh, Boston. It could be Bangladesh, and in a parallel universe, that's part of America. Mm, doubt it. I think we can... Rest that. But the weird thing is that we're talking about a parallel universe. Mel's former wife at this point in time, we're in 2002, remember, has completely vanished. He has no idea what the property looks like, who's caring for it. He hasn't been there in a long time. Many people, even those who bought in in 1997, at this point in the story are going, this is a little bit crazy. However, you have not heard anything yet. Okay. It's so, so much nuttier. Yeah, well, infinitely nuttier, actually literally infinitely i don't want to stop you at no this don't point. do we have enough for a part two i mean we do but i really do. i'm going i know you're going <sighs> i think you should save it for a part two in keeping with the mel calling in you know multiple times i think you should do a part two okay i mean it's so good it's gonna crush my soul not to spew the whole story tonight but okay. it's gonna get nuttier so everybody just remember and we are gonna post pictures so you can examine these dimes you can examine the terraform map you can actually we're gonna post some of the audio from these original interviews so you can listen to some of that audio hear mills voice himself if you'd like and i'm just gonna throw out there 
If anybody lives near Ellensburg, Washington and has any more information that they can provide from local legend that we aren't privy to because we are a bit geographically removed, I would so greatly appreciate any supplemental info you might have to offer. Kelly at FrightDay.com. Please, Kelly at FrightDay.com. However, whatever you do, do not miss the next part of this. I was not trying to make this a cliffhanger, but my producer is. I am telling you that literally the rest of this story is so amazing. Like one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And craziest. And this has been Kelly's Cryptids and Conspiracy. Captain, God damn it. We are a review podcast as well. We don't just talk about holes in the middle of central Washington. Well, some of us don't. So why don't you come forget with us as we recollect Amnesiac. <laughs> you sure. guys are fucking ridiculous. enjoying your visit here this evening now on with the show amnesiac is a 2015 psychological thriller directed by michael polish starring kate bosworth and wes bentley sam could you please tell us what this movie's about amnesiac is the story of a man who wakes up in bed suffering from memory loss after being in an accident only to suspect that his wife may not be his real wife and that a web of lies and deceit deepens inside the house where he soon finds himself a prisoner. Fun! Yeah! So, here's the thing, and I know we all complained about this a little bit in the beginning. The dialogue was difficult to hear, but... Crank the volume up and listen to it. The dialogue was actually quite well written. The cinematography was really beautiful, and I know this isn't your style, cabin boys, but... (laughs) Cabin boys. But the style... There better not be a cabin boys hashtag developing. Hashtag cabin boys! No, it's just not fair. But realistically, the the slow and quiet pace of this movie is one of my favorite ways to build a horror story. I think that it's very effective and it lends itself to a more intellectual type of horror. I mean, it was a psychological thriller. I thought that the way they framed it was perfect. I, I, I partially agree with you. What? But the beginning was almost unbearably slow and unbearably quiet. I, I appreciate a good buildup as much as anyone else, but there was so much whispering and so much nothing going on at the beginning that it was hard for me to even stay awake. I fell asleep. I'm going to admit it. I fell asleep for like four minutes. It woke was, up when the first body fell, and that made me feel a little bit better about this movie. It was quiet. I mean, in the the volume and the tone were quiet out the gates. I could see what you're saying, Kelly, and it did end up being a high point in the movie. Kate Bosworth's blankness throughout was absolutely the highlight. How she stayed so calm throughout the movie, it, it built the unsettling nature and blanketed it and when things ratchet up you'd expect things to change but it makes it all the more better that she doesn't she is an inhuman robot well, she's not really a robot well she doesn't weigh well, enough to be anything else i think I'm robots saying, would be really robots it's fun to see west bentley again i almost completely forgot that he was the man with the video camera that thinks that things are beautiful in american beauty it doesn't appear that he's aged in the last 
25 years, which is kind of creepy. Great hair. Thick, Good hair. It Thick is hair. luxurious. Even his facial hair in those Hunger Games movies. Incredibly spiky. See, and I didn't remember he was in the Hunger Games. But this movie, he is also quiet. Yes. General theme. Quiet. But beautiful. Great natural light yeah, and I was, shadows. I was going to say very well shot, very well lit. It kind of highlights the set that was amazing every time we see kate bosworth's character she's surrounded by the trappings whether it's at home or her vehicles or her clothing the trappings of the 30s 40s indistinct earlier age and we never really get a good idea why i don't know it kind of gives you a little bit of whiplash and puts you into that place of surreality and possibility yeah you almost feel like wes bentley's character in the confusion it it adds to that level of what the is going on we just found ourselves in this foreign place where it doesn't quite add up and and along those lines i think the fear of confusion was the main dread in this film to me that is one of the scariest things that could exist is not knowing something not knowing who you are who the people around you are where you are we do need to mention that kate bothsworth's hus kate both bob bosworth kate bosworth's husband is the director of this movie and he was also the director of the astronaut farmer with billy bob thornton yeah he's actually got some kind of interesting tie-ins with the horror universe he not only is a director but he's also an actor really yeah and he was in hellraiser bloodline that was his first movie ever he played one of the cenobites see but hellraiser bloodlines isn't that the film that they made for like thirty thousand dollars to maintain so to keep the rights was that not it okay that was one of the more recent okay but guys hold on i'm not done with my tie-ins yet sure he was also in some kind of hate oh upcoming film by adam egypt mortimer yeah who sam did a great interview with so he's got some interesting tie-ins there and and his brother has actually done a lot of this stuff with him as well. You are right about the Hellraiser thing. It's a series I've never really watched. I actually, I think Bloodlines was the last of them that I've made it through. Although I, I loved one and two, liked three a lot, and enjoyed four. That's a franchise that was never remade, right? Uh, although it is currently in the process of being remade with Doug Bradley attached as Pinhead, and most importantly, Clive Barker attached to write. I think Kate Bosworth is kind of an underrated actress. It's going to be interesting to see. She's got a couple other films coming up. And I think she does a pretty damn good job with this kind of a character in particular. I remember watching Straw Dogs a few years back, and I actually thought she did a really great job with that character as well. It's an impressive remake, for sure. It was was one of the better remakes I've seen. And I, I guess I'm interested to see what she's able to do. I know sometimes people will criticize the director-actress combos, the wife starts starring in all of the director's movies, but so far I think she is pulling off some interesting horror bits and I'm excited to see where that might lead. She did a great job in Black Rock as well. Yes, yeah. she all, did. Uh, another another thriller. Yeah. Impressive. And I she's hope. in another one that's coming out, isn't she? Before I Wake? Yes, exactly. That, what is that movie about? Isn't that one about the kid whose nightmares manifest? They have the, a couple adopts an orphan child whose dreams and nightmares manifest physically. Wow, did you see me pull that out? I wasn't even looking at anything yeah, when I said that. Yeah, that was, was good. pretty good. Yeah, that was good. You know, I'm not looking forward to that one as much. Poor K. CG. Yeah. Uh, not enough. A, there, yes, I need more CG. Do you CG. mean CGI? I, I was just, I just bloodbathing. VFX. It. It's frustrating. That, that trailer to that movie just didn't look great. Plus, I imagine... It's a PG-13 film. Also directed by the director of Oculus, Mike Flanagan. I don't know. Maybe he'll pull it off. He earned some cred with Absentia. 
I wasn't a huge fan of Oculus, but I do know that we have a review of Oculus going up on Friday.com next week, which is kind of late, but who cares? Did we never write one before? No. Wow. There's a bit of a twist in this movie, and I would rather not spoil it. I think we should skip the spoilers, especially because this one just came out. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. It it builds the whole movie. Here's the thing that I I will say, too. For those of you who are more in my camp or you know, even middle of the road and you don't love the super gory, miserable, disturbing horror films, this makes for a good one. I mean, it's a bit Twilight zone It's a bit more subtle. There are a couple gory pieces to feed the people like Byron and Sam. Mostly off-screen violence, I yeah, should add. Yeah, it's something that isn't going to completely twist your stomach in knots, so it makes for a little bit better date movie for those of you who aren't jumping up and down about rolling in blood. And this movie is now available on VOD and through limited theatrical releases in major cities. Now, right? Starting yeah. the 14th. Sam? What would you give this movie? Uh, I'm going to give this movie a 5.5. It was a little slow for my taste. Um, The audio was a little muddy, but the story was engaging. Did keep me guessing until the end. It filled its role as a psychological thriller. There were parts that probably could have been sharpened up a little bit. I would have liked to have seen more gore. I give it a 7.2. It was intelligently constructed. I am always a sucker for any type of a Twilight zone plot. I think that it accomplished a lot with carefully selected limited dialogue and simple but effective cinematography. Yeah, Bosworth will always have a soft spot in my heart, thanks to Blue Crush, so she was great. And I'm going to go ahead and give it a 55 If you're into confusion, this is the film for you. It definitely ramps up the discomfort as you go, which I appreciate, but I think it needed a little bit more on-screen violence. Kate Bosworth is great. Wes Bentley, also great. It's good to see him back in the horror saddle. Mm -hmm. P2, he's in the next season of American Horror Story. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. Um, Yeah, 5.5. Definitely check this out on all your VOD platforms now. Kelly, how are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. That's good. I was worried about you for a little bit. Yeah. We were worried. We were. Are you ready for Mel's whole part two? Now? No. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) We're not doing it now. I can go if you need me to go. I'm ready to go. No, we're not doing it now. If you have seen this movie, tweet us and let us know at Fright Day on Twitter. I always forget to say that. We want to hear from you. Or you can just write us, contact at FrightDay.com. Pretty much anything. We like to hear from you. I love to hear from all of you. We got a question this week. Question! From a gentleman named Alex. I love it. What have been your favorite horror franchise reboots, if any, and what made it work? Simple question, but I don't think we've ever talked about this. Uh, we haven't. And boy, it's, it's a simple question, but there's so much there. I could talk about reboots, but franchise reboots, I think the problem for me is... If we're talking about some of those classic franchises from the 80s, I wasn't a giant fan of most of them. What? I mean, I don't really love the Friday the 13th. I don't really... Spoiler alert, Kelly's a terrible person. Yeah, okay. I I mean, I like the original Halloween, but I didn't really like the rest of them. What? Not a real big fan of... Season of the Witch? Come on now. Yeah, sorry. We know how I feel about Children of the Corn. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Halloween. Come on now, what's wrong with you? They read, They need to remake the third one. Oh God! It gets me every time. And this is. I actually watched that for the first time last year. It's great. It's amazing. Underrated film. But 
back to the franchise conversation. Kelly, you hate all old no, franchises. No, 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 no. I'm saying that I don't love them. What's your problem with Friday the 13th, the first one? I just, the, the slasher stuff was never that super scary to me. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's fun. It's great. You know. You're like Kevin Bacon? Meh. A wheelchair kill? I don't well, like who bacon. Who dares to kill wheelchairs? I'm not a big bacon. Other Texas, Texas, Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre. Leatherface does. That's great. We would call that a franchise, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even though the second one is a bit absurd. Yeah, and the third. Was there a third? Are and we talking 15th. about? Are we talking I'm about? The, I'm talking Dustin Hoffman and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily call that part of the franchise. I would consider that almost a reboot. I think it, I think it falls into the the purview of the question. Nonetheless. My favorite movie that is a reboot and also a franchise is Evil Dead, 2013, hands down. One of my favorite horror films of all time. I can get behind that. It takes a rather silly movie that I didn't care for necessarily. (gasps) Now Sam's going to rip your throat out. I'm not. Originally, I've definitely grown to love it, but... The way that they ramped up Evil Dead while still maintaining a little bit of absurdity made a perfect movie for me. Plus, one of the best soundtracks in modern horror history. Amazing practical effects and, come on, Blood Rain. I think you make a lot of excellent points, but I am going to have to go with Rob Zombie's Halloween, both because the Halloween franchise is my favorite of the slashers and because Zombie did such an incredible job of taking Michael Myers and really standing him on his head and making him darker and both more and less human than in the original. So, And in a non-offensive way. Yeah. You know, it doesn't ruin the old version of Michael Myers. It was a tonal shift. It was almost like, it, it, it to me is what a reboot should have been. It was, you know, more than just a rehashing. It was a new telling of a story. Honestly, I, I couldn't have thought of one, but after you said Evil Dead, I think that's going to come the closest. And I guess I, I would say I would say Halloween as well. I'm just hopping on backs. I know, but the problem is, <laughs> like, for example, The Thing. I liked The Thing remake. But okay. not a franchise. It's not a franchise. But it's not a franchise. Exactly. There are a few franchises that I buy into. I really actually like the Poltergeist franchise. However, I haven't even seen the remake, and I hear it's not good. I've got a screener for you. Okay, I should watch it, but I, I hear it's not good. It's tough for me to pick one out. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm failing. The Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street reboots. Was there an Elm Street reboot? I think yep. there yep. was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not good films. Not at all. I mean, like, The Fly is another classic. I thought that not the reboot... I know, I know. That's why I'm saying, like, the, the franchise element is difficult yeah, I would. I wouldn't mind seeing a, a Maniac Cop reboot. Although I think they're they're actually working on Maniac Cop as a reboot. Who's going to be MC? Uh, you know, I'm not sure yet. Oh wow! And he does have a follow up to this question. I really appreciate this, Alex. If you have any questions, yeah. uh, tweet us at Fright Day on uh, Twitter. And if I'm allowed a follow up, and you, you are. are thoughts on MTV Scream series or CW's Friday the Thirteenth announcement? I think a couple weeks ago I talked about my thoughts on the Scream franchise how I enjoy it, even though it's not for me. It's a modern twist on something that got me into horror, and I completely appreciate that they're approaching it the way they are. As for the CW's Friday the 13th, I don't think enough details have really emerged yet for me to form a legitimate opinion. I will say that my opinion is, 
I am very optimistic because I'm not married to the original. I think sometimes it's easier to go into those reboots without really close ties to the original ones because you aren't setting yourself up to be disappointed. And I'm excited to see where they go with it. I am not excited that it's on the CW because their track record is a bit... Although, you guys, let's let's just think for a second. A few years ago, for example, FX did not have a great reputation for... When? Uh, FX is, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I agree. Even AMC before The Walking Dead dead and bravo before oh oh. okay stop mocking my bravo i like my bravo and honestly i haven't seen that show mr robot yet but everyone's been talking about robot mr robot like it's almost acceptable and that's on the usa network so on usa yeah yeah i don't believe it lots of people have been saying it's a great show so people tend to know more than i do so we're supposed to be the voice of of i know i was trying to be nice okay i don't like usa i don't either but i don't really like cw i'd like to see what they do i've heard a lot about friday the 13th as a franchise it's bounced between networks to reboots to found footage films so i guess it's finally landed somewhere we'll see what happens but i appreciate you writing in alex thanks a lot yeah thanks for those questions and Keep them coming, everybody else. Please. Yeah, thank you. You know what I also really appreciate? What? Is the amount of people that have been buying Fright Day t-shirts. Oh, seriously. Thank you guys so much. You guys all look so cool wearing them, too. We'd love to see pictures of you wearing them. Right now, if you haven't seen it already, we have a glow-in-the-dark version of our Too Ghoul for School t-shirt. Woo-woo! And we're in the middle of working on a Kelly Scripps' Conspiracies t-shirt. Captain well. Just Kelly's. to shut her up for no other reason. And I've got some other really cool ideas for merch that'll be coming out. And honestly, that is the best way, other than telling your friends about our show, to keep our lights on and keep us uh, telling spooky stuff. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the support and we have so much fun putting this stuff out there for you guys and we're glad to hear that you're enjoying it. So. Yeah. Please shop, keep in touch. Shop. shop. Everybody loves shop, shopping. Shopping's great. Shop.friday? Shop.friday.com. Shop.friday.com. What are we doing next week, you guys? Mel's Hole Part 2? Yeah, we're doing The that. whole episode is going to be Mel's Hole Part 2. That's not true. That's it. And we're going to we post might. a Google map on Friday.com of the area formerly occupied by the blacked out terror server image from 1997. So if you want to scroll around, do a crowdsource Mel's Hole search from the map. That Start would be awesome. yeah. And I'm going to throw out there that our friends over at Creepy Kitsch happen to live in the vicinity of Mills Hole and have known to uh, find the story rather hilarious, which I can't say I blame them. It is pretty hilarious. Wait till you hear the second part. But I'll be interested to hear if they have anything, hopefully if they hear this episode, if they have anything to add to the first half of the story. It's always interesting to talk to people who live in the area because, you know, they get more deets than those of us who live at a distance. Deets. Deets. I'll let it stay. Hey, I haven't put this out there in a while. What have you put out there in a while? We have a phone number you can call to tell us your thoughts about uh, Mel's Hole. It's uh, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That'd be great. One six six one nine spooky Creepy Kitsch Girls, you can call in and let us know your thoughts on Mel's Hole. Everyone else can call. We'd love to hear from you. Where does that line go? Whose phone rings when that happens? You know, I guess they'll have to call and find out. Man, everybody's got their fingers crossed for Kelly. God. I don't know that that's true. God, please don't be Byron or Sam. Please don't be Byron or Sam. And we don't know what we're watching next week, do we? Why would this week be any different than you know, every other week? I'm almost certain that we're going to be reviewing a movie about a family intervention that goes horrifically wrong in a snowy confines of a lake house. But I'm not certain. 
Either way, we'll find something cool to talk about. Right. Including part two of Mel's Hole. Sam, where can we find you on the internet? I am at Sam Fright Day on Twitter, and you can reach me by email, sam at frightday.com. You can reach me at Kelly Fright Day on Twitter and Kelly at frightday.com by email. And I cannot say enough times how much I love hearing from all of you. So thanks a lot, everybody. And I'm at Byron McCoy at Twitter, Byron at frightday.com. Email me your favorite serial killers of this week. And until next week, I'm Byron. I'm Kelly. And I'm Sam. Stay the best. Ever. This one deserves captain. Say it. Uh, should I? Don't. Say okay. it. Don't. Don't you look at him. Better. Say it. I can't. You know better. Conspiracies. Kelly is a captain.